business owners likely will have only one shot to sell a business. Most don't understand what drives value and how buyers look at a business. Until now. Welcome to the How to Sell a Business podcast, where every week we talk to the subject matter experts, advisors, and those around the deal table about how to sell at maximum value. Every business will go to sell one day. It's only a matter of when. We're glad you're here. The podcast starts now. Today I had the opportunity to interview Andrew Wall. And Andrew is, he's actually a colleague. But um, I met i met him probably, I don't know, a couple of years back where you know, he's the second youngest deal guy I've ever hired. And, and I was the first at 22 and Andrew, when we brought him on, he was 30. And one of the things I'm so excited about, about him as a deal guy is when I hire people, I often am looking at, you know, What's their pedigree? Do have they ever sold a business? Can they empathize with business owners? And where the reason I share this is Andrew sold his aerial photography business or drone business. And it is it, he took it from start to finish. So Andrew comes from a long line of entrepreneurs. That I mean, that's the the first thing. So he he understands, you know, just about business and about the trials and tribulations that you you face as an entrepreneur. So he has back his, his degree is from in entrepreneurship from Ball State. He has owned and operated probably three or four different businesses. He is a commercial realtor. He's a business broker, and he is, you know, I and I, I say it at the end of a, at a, of our of our visit that. You know, it's people like him that I believe are the future of this type of industry as far as the business brokerage and and the selling of businesses, because I think the median age of people spinning up uh, companies is going to continue to to get lower. And I think businesses like him and his 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 drone business, you'll find that it started as a Christmas present and he came out and turned it into a saleable asset. So. As we as as the podcast as we recorded, I mean, you can you can hear how as a seller, you know, all of the things that went into making it a saleable business, going through due diligence, how he had to <clears throat> address contracts, lots of contracts that were in place. I think you'll learn that, you know. This is this is a type of business that <clears throat> appealed to a lot of different buyers, but ultimately, who who was the right buyer and how he found it. So, Andrew is a, like I said, he I, I believe he and people like him are are the future of of entrepreneurship, and and so I am one hundred percent certain that you will learn a ton about the sale process, whether you're in the drone world or not. But regardless, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Andrew Wall. Well, welcome to the show, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Ed. It's, really, uh, really looking forward to talking with you today. <laughs> well, it's good to have you. So I before you came on, I I recorded your intro and I probably didn't do it justice. So can you take 30 seconds and, you know, kind of give an overview of you, what you're doing, where you came from and, and such. Sure. Yeah. 30 seconds. That'll be, uh, that'll be tough, but, um, the high level is, you know, come from a long line of entrepreneurs, went to ball state to study entrepreneurship and marketing, uh, came out of school, bright eyed, bushy tailed, ready to go get a sales job. Bounced around at a couple of places uh, before I ended up in commercial real estate and business brokerage, which is what I do now. And most recently exited my aerial photography company that I started uh, back in 2014, believe it or not. Well, let's start there. Let's, let's, let's talk about how you got into aerial photography. 
Yeah, yeah. So I was um, actually admittedly taking my victory lap at Ball State and uh, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And uh, at the time, the drones had just come out. I had seen a few of them and uh, had just had got one uh, actually for my parents, just maybe a couple hundred dollar one for, for Christmas and uh, threw my buddy's GoPro on it, took it up a thousand feet, which is not... Uh, does not fall in FAA regulations. And at that point realized that there was definitely money to be made there. Cause up until that point, it really, it really wasn't an option to just put a camera anywhere in the sky. So, so you, you got a Christmas present, you stick a GoPro on it and, and right out of the gate, a business is born. Yep. That's basically it. I mean, so how did you, how'd you this get your back first? to 2013? So, you know, the technology is. Yeah. So, has, <laughs> right. So how did you get your first, how did you get your first customer or, or who was your first customer? I'm sure it was somebody, a family friend that was in real estate that had said, you know, Hey, can you do this? And, uh, just kind of a quick sidebar for all the technology nerds out there. You know, at the time there was no feedback for the video. I mean, so now you have these screens on the camera and the controller that have a live feed. You can, you can make settings and adjustments on the fly. At the time, I was just strapped my GoPro on with, you know, really probably no gimbal, no stabilizer, flying around this house and just, I was just taking pictures automatically and I just kind of sprayed and prayed. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of the under the table at the time. It wasn't even um, commercially, you know, you weren't able to make money on it commercially. So it was a lot of these under the table cash deals. And uh, it was it was an exciting time because everything was unfolding in that world. Um, I was working one on one with clients directly saying, Hey, this, this would solve my problems. And, uh, so it was an exciting time. It was also a lot of running around and, you know, there's no market. So it was $50 right. flights and maybe I got up to a 75 at one point. And, um, but yeah, no, it started out there. And I think it was 2020 when, um, no, I'm sorry, probably 2018 when the FAA came out and said, Part 107, go out and get it, get your license, get insured, and you can do this commercially. And so at that point, I had probably 10, 15 clients that I just said, hey, I'm doing this. And thankfully, they supported me. And uh, some are even still with the company today, which is amazing. Good. Good for you. So, so you know, and it's funny, you know, you start talking about, you know, what you were doing in 2014. And then, you know, everybody on the Internet has seen that Cubs drone video yeah you know where where they fly through wrigley field through through all the ins and outs behind the scenes and you know that's where that's where it it, it currently is which is a, an entirely different business than i than i think you you anticipated when you started right 100 percent. i mean at one point or, or and no, you, you, you totally hit it down on the head at one point it was it's a miracle that you can put that camera right there and take this angle vantage point now everybody has a drone, um, project managers on site have drones because it's just not that tough to take pictures. I hate, hate to say that for all my photography yeah. people out there, but it's really not. Now you take that and compare it up to a, a personalized, unique, coordinated fly through that in 30 seconds captures the true um, culture of your company or your or the feel of a bar. I mean, I don't even yeah. I'm still struggling to put a value on that because. It's just, you can't replicate. Um, It's very, very challenging too. So yeah, it's, it's come a long way. It's, it's exciting. Yeah. Well, and that, that leads me to kind of to the next question is, is where, where is the industry and where is it going? I mean, because as, as you look, as I see, as I see you and I see your exit and where you came from and where it's at, I'm just curious to know where, what, what happens next? You know, because, you know, when we talk on the podcast, we're, we, we talk about value and value is about earnings, growth and risk. So that I want to, I guess I want to start with the growth. Where, do, where does this thing go from here? Well, you know, I read an article recently that said by 2025, the drone industries anticipated to be a $25 billion industry which is crazy to me. Um, you know, what was once pictures and video and marketing supplementation is now 
uh, construction documentation. It can be used for scanning and surveying. It can be used for um, insurance purposes. I mean, there's there's things like LIDAR and infrared that people are just barely scratching the surface for. Um, surveys on bridges, you know, where you can send a pilot out to take a full scan versus two people. I mean, the cool thing about the drone industry is it's just growing um, extremely laterally. You know, there's some that are growing vertically, but um, missing people shooting LIDAR to find old Mayan ruins. I mean, it's just amazing. I keep hearing these new things that come out and I'm like, man, I want to do that. Um, so, you know, yeah, <laughs> to, to the drone industry and the drone manufacturers have made it extremely easy uh, for, for a person and a consumer to pick up a drone and learn to fly it. So what was once the artistic aspect of making sure the footage was captured correctly is now kind of slowly starting to get moved to the side because you can shoot an auto. And guess what? The pictures and video look pretty dang good. Um, there's editing softwares that are coming out that are actually AI driven. You can put in um, certain clips and it'll know that based on previous videos, this is how the flow goes. And so it's a very long way of answering your question, but I think where it's going is, you know, there's this, this interesting separation between the equipment and then the, the pilot. And then the third the third part is, you know, the application. So it's becoming easier to pilot. Um, there is some there is some importance on the data management, but that seems to be right. I feel like is the separating line. You know, you, everybody knows a kid down the street that can put his drone up and take some pictures. But when you come back and say, "Look, we're licensed, we're insured, we're not a one man shop, and we have all this data to back it up," uh, it makes it a little easier, I think, for clients, vendors to say, "Yeah, we want to see you as a partner," because there is a lot of um, there's a, there's a ton of different layers of intricacies that, that come down to, to the data that's shot in high quality and high resolution, you know, takes up storage. And, um, but, but I do, I think there's a huge potential for the growth. Um, and the best way to sum it up is I would say, you know, commercializing the one man band um, or woman band. You know, yeah. a lot of times we see somebody get a drone, they start working and then they, they don't see the everything around the business that they need to develop. So one of the challenges and, and you, you and I, you and I worked on this a little bit was, was value and, and I'll, and I'll be the first guy, you know, and, and I, I am happy to eat my words. I am so glad that, that you exited and exited so well, but I'm sitting here going, holy, holy moly, what is the barrier from every person just getting in this business? And, and so I think that's where I want to go from from growth to, you know, in this business, what did you see as as the components of value that made it made an exit viable? All right. So, yeah. you know, what what created that value? I, I think yeah. the I'm, I know we're not saying we're not talking names, but I do think that you have a great name. Yeah, no, thank you. That was that was always day one. Something <laughs> everyone was excited about. So I think, you know, coming from the business brokerage um, industry, you know, you learn things like a name isn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily carry value. Um, client lists, there's certain things, contracts in place, you know, there's, it's hard to assign a value on that. So when I went back through everything, I kind of just tried to flip the script a little bit and say, okay, if I was going, if I'm a drone guy and I'm going to buy a drone company, why am I buying this drone company? So what I did is I immediately took any contracts in place. I tried to really set up a, a scenario to show these buyers that look, you're coming into a into an industry that is seasonal, and you're in Indiana. So on average, you have 99 sunny days a year. I'm actually kind of scared if I'm a buyer, not knowing what I know in the drone because it's it is risky. Um, so you know, obviously the cash flow was a was a big driver of the value. But then what we also try to do is take equipment. We have some static cameras on site that have, that have helped us subsidize some lower cash flowing months in the winter. Um, you know, but ultimately I try to position it to where, you know, another drone, most drone companies in town do not cash flow through the year. I would, I would bet to say it's very challenging to have those repeat projects when it's not, it's not nice. Yeah. Um, and so that was a huge driver for me was when I talked to buyers, you know, it's, it, it wasn't just a price. It was, this is what you're buying. This is what you're coming into. This is why 
I feel like this value, you know, is, is where it's at. And we didn't have a whole lot of comps. We didn't have a whole lot of, uh, of things to compare it to. Right. I, I, we looked at several in, across the nation and they were honestly all over the board. I'd love to see if any of those have sold, but um, I feel like we had, a, we had a good valuation. It was very justifiable. Everything worked, worked fine through the lending. And so to me that, to me that. Yeah. The, 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 de- the deal pencil. Yeah. The deal penciled out and, and, you know, having been in this business as long as I, I have, you know, sometimes you sit there and you're like, this business should sell, all right? And and when I looked at at your business, I'm sitting here going, you know, it it's got all the ingredients that that would would make me cringe and it would limit the buyer pool, all right? That you know, you you really had and not that you it it, it you know, most buyers, you know, as you know, I mean there's there's such a a wide breadth of buyers that that could have been a candidate for this. And I think as I, as I continue to see, see the industry, you know, and, and this is where my next question is going is, you know, I know you had employees versus, versus um, independent contractors, right? That, that, that's what, how, how you ran your business. I know in the creative world, most, most types of creatives so to speak run independent contractors and so i think that's another difference of your business is that i think what made it saleable was that you controlled the quality you know what i mean as opposed to just an independent contractor hoping that their skill set was was sufficient to get the job done Mm -hmm. so that's that's my question is what made you what made you take on employees as opposed to diversify your risk with independent contractors where like you were saying if things things got slow you could you could immediately jettison these guys yeah so what made you do that yeah it's a great question we've we've played around with both over the years obviously when you have independent contractors you can control your margins um what you can't control is the independent contractors so what we found was when people called on a sunny day you know, you're tracking down an independent contractor or you're at their mercy of what their schedule holds. Yeah. Especially during the peak months in the summer, it's an absolute no-brainer to have full-time employees on staff, um, hands down. Now, the challenge yeah. comes right around the end of November when everybody locks down and your cash flow goes through the floor. So... We've actually struggled in the past couple of years. We made a conscious decision to keep our employees on. And what we did was we um, made a slight adjustment on the hours they worked, but they might be lower in the winter. They might be a little higher in the summer. Um, But what we found was that, yeah, when you can have a little bit more control over the employees in a sense of uh, not necessarily control, but more reliability. Um, You know, there's a shoot that came in this morning that, that, uh, you know, somebody wanted to get, get something on, I think at 10 a.m. they called us at nine. Thankfully we were able to staff it. Um, you're not going to get that with an independent contractor. And then to your second sure. point about the quality control, I mean, um, it's one thing to talk about the piloting and the drone flight. It's a whole nother thing to talk about subbing out the editing because you really have to have a kind of a central unit that all the quality control is going through. And if you don't, you're going to be all over the board based on who that editor or data wrangler is well that that's interesting you say that because one of the things that that i in in similar type businesses you know people are going to fiverr people are going to upwork people are going to what that there's another there's another a third one smaller that you know where you can where you can just upload you know i need this edited you know here's the scope of work you know why didn't you go that route? Because to me, it would have it would have made the company even more profitable. But it's just total quality control, or yeah, I think it is, and I think at some point it's it's letting go of of some of the internal control. You know, so you can take two scenarios. One is Andrew's running the company; he's working with the clients, he's doing the project management, and then he's working with the vendors. And then scenario two is Andrew runs the company; he brings the project in, and he brings his team in, and you know, you kind of share the workload. And I think that's where ultimately it came down for me. You know, 
client wants to hop on a call or review a video and you're trying to coordinate with somebody in India or another part of the world that, um, you know, it's it's not even that they're not able to get on the phone, but you're not, you're not a team at that point. You know what? That's a great, that's a great point because I think a lot of, a, a lot of businesses like yours that, um, that end up being unsaleable is, is just because of that, that it's cobbled together. It may, it may have great margins. It may, you know, print money, but at the end of the day, if, if you don't have those internal controls and you don't, especially when you're, when you're working at at the level you are, you know, where, you know, where you see some of your work on television, you see some of your work, you know, in, in higher quality, you know, venues, so to speak. I think that's where, I think that's the di- a real difference is that there's, I don't say a company versus a hobby, but I, I do, I, I think, I think when you start adding payroll and you start adding quality control and you start adding process and procedure and things like that, you then turn, you then turn what, was a Christmas present into a, a real business, you know? Yeah. And, no, and, and I and think I, that. Sorry. I was going to say, I think, you know, at the end no, of the day, go ahead. It's, it's about putting the right people in the right places. And, you know, there was a point when I was doing the video editing early on, when someone had asked me, can you take this video clip and make, put our logo on there? You know, and it was, it was exciting for me. It was fun. But then I looked up one day and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm not a video editor. Um, and it kind of goes, it kind of plays the same tune with uh, subcontractors. You, you kind of want, you want somebody that's an expert that does enjoy it as a hobby so that they're coming to you saying, I thought about this. What do you think about this? And if you try to commercialize it too much and you put it in a box and you rinse and repeat, your product becomes, you know, it becomes stale. And so I always try to push that early on, for, even if we weren't cash flowing as much, I wanted to keep the team. And because I know that the guys that we hired were, were rock stars and, Tactically, man, that's a that was a great, great decision. And to be honest with you, I I totally believe that's why it's so hundred percent. Yeah, I think, it, I think it, it very, very much helped. And um, and we'll we'll get on this later. Um, yeah, but it but it, it almost caused some complications in the sale, believe it or not. So, well, then let's let's talk about the value. Where now now that you, now it's behind you. Where did where was the value? The value, the the dollar amount. No, 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 no. What, what was the, where were the value drivers in the business? Tell me, tell me what you, now that you're behind it, why did this business sell? And I'm certain there's three or four things that, that made it, that, that made it so. Yep. So, um, you know, I think first off the fact that it was a more than one person company was, was interesting. It was, you know, the dust that settled there, there was a good, um, uh, chain of hierarchy. So that was one. Uh, two was the cont- contacts and clients that we had. Um, so over the, whatever, call it 10 years, I think we had developed and worked with over 1,200 different clients. I mean, that was anybody coming into the industry that has 1,200 to work off day one that we've worked with, I thought was held some extreme value. Um, from a technological standpoint, our software, our project management software was all cloud-based, set up very clean. Our accounting was set up. Um, social media was updated. Websites were clean and, and loaded well. And so I think from that perspective, um, you know, then arguably the biggest driver was the way that we were intaking new opportunities. About a year and a half ago, I made a conscious decision that I needed to start I needed to stop being the total face of about a year and a half ago, it made a conscious decision to, uh, you know, slowly kind of step out of the limelight of being the main face of the company. And as much as I hated doing that, because I do love the sales and I do love the problem solve, what it helped us realize or what helped us achieve was, uh, you know, another level of separation where it wasn't, it wasn't just Andrew Wall's company. It was, this is a company that's known. This is a company we've heard. And then these 
people were going to our website to fill out the form. So it was, again, day one for a new buyer, you're going to get an email or two that week of new projects. Uh, and then the, the, the final ones, you know, I think uh, the, the employees in place, we had equipment out on the field as far as camera construction cameras. So those are recurring expenses and um, recurring and revenue. Recurring revenue and uh, yeah, right. not, right now expensive recurring revenue. And then yeah. um, obviously the contracts, you know, we have a couple contracts in place that uh, with some good clients. And, you know, so when you come into it, if you have cash flow, you have labor, you have incoming leads, um, start running out of room to, yeah. to blow up the deal. So, so did you do a lot from a marketing standpoint? Did, were you more geared um digitally or were you belly to belly sales uh yeah good question i mean so i really enjoy networking um at events in person so there was some stuff especially early on i mean that early on it was it was boots on the ground shaking the trees pounding the pavement day in and day out no question about it um as we developed over the years you know one i got burnt out on that and two i started realizing you know hey if these clients we want the good clients. We want the tech savvy clients that are, you know, we're a drone company. We can't be cold calling. And so we made a change. Uh, we updated the website. We created a couple forms that we could intake. And I think at that point it was, a, it was a, a milestone for us. You know, we're, we're all, we've always been a younger company, but uh, kind of letting go and understanding, Hey, people are going to come in this way. And even if they don't fill out the form and get kicked off, they're probably not a good client. You know, if a client's not going to fill out five questions, we're not going to call them back. And, and so at one point it was, it was get everything that moves. And then it became kind of slowly putting the shotgun away, pulling out the rifle and saying, Hey, there's a billion dollar project going on over here. Why are we not doing something versus the calling on the residential real estate firms that are, um, you know, race to the bottom. So. That's that's funny you said. So one of the things that that I wanted to ask you was was that you were the face of the company, and I know over the last year and a half, so that you stopped being that person. So then, my question is, from a saleability standpoint, I have to believe that the buyer or the buyers that you 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 interviewed or, you know, as, as candidates to acquire, were probably pretty worried about it, you know? So how did you get around y you, you being that guy? Yeah. Well, I think one, you know, every, every business transaction is a little different. I think one of the, I guess, outside the box things we talked about early on was that I was very much, I was very adamant that I was very adamant that the company continues to succeed. And uh, okay. depending on who, what buyer I talked to, and depending on where we got with our conversations, I made that pretty clear up front that, listen, I, I understand there's a hesitation here. This is my baby. I've been, in, I've been with it the last 10 years. I'm sure you're, there's some concerns. Um, what I've realized, what I would have told myself back then is that with technology and, and, and where everything's at, you know, it, the transition is much easier than I think a lot of sellers and buyers truly understand. And I'll give you just a quick really? example real quick. Like hmm. with this buyer, one of the first things we did was get him access to email. Well, I'll back up just a second. This ended up being a stock sale versus an asset sale, which was a little, little different. And it makes it a lot, a lot yeah. more interesting, but ultimately makes the transition 100 times easier. And so by getting the buyer, access to email by giving the buyer access to the accounting software, 80% of any questions and follow up during transition are going to probably be answered, if not more, right? Because you have a history of everything that's gone on. Um, is, is that, is that business specific or do you think that's in general? Like the, that the, the, the way you structure the transition you know, in this case, you you said it was a, a stock sale, which which is fine. But as an asset sale, you could have offered the same thing. Yeah, you know. So yeah. so tell me about that. 
So yeah, I think, you know, to sum it up, I, I, what I've learned is that I think buyers and sellers both going into this exiting a business or purchasing a business, there, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of concerns about how people are going to take news, how people are going to transition. And, you know, I would, I would be lying if I, if I said there wasn't some concern on myself and the buyer's part, but I think it's all about how you deliver the information. And again, flipping the script, putting yourself in their shoes. So when you go to a client, you introduce the new buyer, you explain how things are going to be run. You explain that you're still going to be involved to whatever degree that is. And then, you know, in a perfect world, maybe it's been like that for a few weeks. So they haven't even noticed a change in quality. Um, but, you know, again, at the time I tried to reassure them, I'm here to help any way I can. I'm here to make any introductions. I'm here to help smooth anything over. But at the end of the day, you know, I think it's a good lesson from the buy side as well. It's a risk that the buyer runs. And fortunately for me, the buyer that came in said, look, I, I understand that when you, when I come in here and purchase this, clients might walk, employees might walk, but we, again, both had enough conversations up front to say, realistically, I think if we deliver it this way, why would they, you know, there's, there's, so expound on that. So, so what was, what do you think the, the one thing that you did in transition made the difference in retention of employees, you know, just kind of calm the fears. Um, you know, what is, is there any one thing that stuck out that, you know what, this is probably why it's going as well as it is. Yeah. It's going to be a super corny answer, but I think, the the reason is because it was authentic um, from beginning, even before I listed the business, I knew in my head that I was not going to sell to the first person. I was not going to sell to a big corporate client or a corporate account. I was going to sell to somebody that was going to come in and take this, take care of the clients, take care of the employees and then grow it. And um, so that was my story the whole time. And it still has been my story while I've told the employees, while I've told vendors, while I've told clients. You know, hey, this is not a fire sale, and I'm, I'm out, and I'm at the floor. You'll never see me again. This was this was the right time. It was a tough decision, but it was the right decision, and I 100% stand behind the the decision and the and the purchase and the acquisition. And um, if somebody wants to, you know, jump ship for that, we'd love to talk to them. But the reality is, I don't. There's re we've really left them no reason to. Yeah. Well. That, that's funny you say that. So what did prompt you? Why did you decide you want to sell? What, what well, one event or, you know, I know that, I know that you were spread pretty thin, but what, what finally, what, what, what triggered that? Yeah. Well, it was, it was a culmination of things. I would say, you know, I got into commercial real estate a little over two and a half years ago. That was a, a new industry that I got in that I had some experience in, but I really found that I enjoyed it. And I had found some success in there early on. About a year after getting into real estate and getting some, some feet under me, I get a call from Indiana Business Advisors, says I should come join them. So that's two that was, jobs. That was a good decision. That was a great decision. Um, that's two jobs. You, top, you add on you add on the company and that's three shots here. Hang on. Yeah. Mark that. Yep. I got it. So after joining Indiana business advisors, along with commercial real estate, that brings me up to three jobs. I'm fortunate enough that I'm able to sit on a few boards locally. And then my greatest achievement accomplishment is my two children under two and a half years old that have become extremely fun on a day-to-day -day basis. And I just realized between the eight of those things, um, you know, as much as it pained me, was the, was the obvious bottleneck, uh, not only for my life, you know, it's not, not necessarily fa fair to say for my life, but for the company's potential. I mean, I, I knew that there was a huge potential. We weren't turning jobs down, but I definitely wasn't doing what I should have been from a, business development and staffing perspective. And so, you know, it, 
it made sense to to put it on the market at the time and to start working through buyers, knowing that here in the next few years would, would be a good time to exit. So, out of all eight, why didn't you why didn't you double down on the aerial business? What what made you what what made what made you sell it as opposed to you know what I'm going to get out of commercial real estate I'm going to get out of business brokerage and I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket. You're gonna call me a millennial. I have been <laughs> I have been running since 2000, really probably 12. I had a few businesses in college. I've always loved business development. I've been a deal junkie from the first time I had a deal, and I'm tired. I'm I'm so tired of the day to day, and I think it was manageable without kids. Anybody out there with kids under three is going to, is going to relate to me immediately, but it's just, it, it was too thin. I was spread too thin. And, and, and I think I did it long enough knowing that I was busy. I like being busy. I like when people need me, it just got to a point where I needed to prioritize things better. And I just wasn't, I was dropping too many balls in too many different areas. And yeah. the aerial photography company is a go, go, go all the time. Um, there's again, especially being seasonal, especially having an average of 99 Sundays in a year in Indiana, you have to be on it. And uh, if not, they're going to call somewhere else. I mean, that's when you get that form, it's on. And weather changes, yeah. schedule changes. So, you know, I think where we, I get it. I think where we could have done better was to um, expand our levels of management a little better. But Again, we went down that path a few times and it being a new industry, uh, labor market's a little tough right now. Yeah. But yeah. I get it. So so I I pulled I pulled the data on on you know how many how many buyers you went through. And there were a bunch. You know, there you had a ton of activity. How many, so many, I guess, how many did we go through? Or how many total did we have? Uh, there was like seventy three. Wow, seventy-three people that that had an interest in an aerial photography. So hey, real quick before you get on that, I just I want to make a note. I promised myself I'd make a note during this podcast somewhere. This is this is relevant to any business owner, but I want to make sure I said this. I was very hesitant at the time. I was I was very hesitant about a year ago to put put uh, the company on the market. I think like many sellers, I was worried that employees were going to find out, clients, et cetera. Um, the one thing that I, I would like to make sure I got across is that it was so helpful for me to have a business listed at the that early on and to be talking to buyers because not every buyer was time-wise ready. They were interested about the business, but they said, hey, if you, you know, in six months, in a year, here's my events happening in life. I want to I want to stay in touch with you, and it just allowed a much I, I think much more enjoyable experience because it wasn't there was no rush there was no um, you know buyers quote unquote beating you up or, or trying to come in at a basement floor price it was it was just a much better conversation between buyers. Well, you went you went through you went through a, a bunch, and I mean when you have a full service brokerage experience, I mean that's that's. That's the whole point is that it, it, it enables you to, to run your business or in your case, all your businesses and, you know, and, and it helps to have a team alongside of you to, you know, to, to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff kind of thing. And, but circling back to those buyers, I mean, you, you, you had, you, you talked a, a lot to, to, a a lot of different buyers. And I'm just curious to know, were there any particular questions that everybody like when any particular questions that anybody, you know, it, there was a commonality. These are the, these are the normal questions that I was, that I was getting because those that are in other drone shops or, or, or pick the, pick the tangent type industry, they're going to be faced with the similar questions. So I'm 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 curious to know what those questions were and and how you handled them and, and were there any 
questions that made you uncomfortable? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, compared to a standard, if you're a business owner, you've done this a few times, you know, I think it starts to all blend together in some way, right? What are you doing in revenue? What's your cash flow? What's your ad backs? What's your operating expenses? So that all that's pretty standard. I think a lot of the questions initially were, how is this working? What are you doing? Um, obviously, a lot of people know aerial photography, drones, but they didn't know if this was a repairing, if this was a selling, you know, so I'm funny enough, a lot of it was just people that were like, I'm interested. What, you know, what, what do you got going on here? You know, you're doing, here's your revenue and, and you got this really cool book and you know, what, what's happening. So I think, I don't know that I had a bigger question. I would say one of the biggest, um, stopping points in a lot of my conversations was the buyers realized or they they assumed that they need to have this this wealth of knowledge in the drone world and i think that that's correct but i also try to explain that you know it's it's one of those things that's new and it's foreign but it's an area of opportunity if you can understand it it's not a huge book of rules and information it's just there's some some foreign things that you got to understand and it's i tell you right now it's not rocket science so i think there were some times that I was trying to sell people on, you know, hey, don't don't sell yourself short. I, you can learn this, you can understand this, um, but but yeah, but, but is that is that a seller saying, you know what, you can do this, no big deal, and and because I think a lot of buyers sit there and go, yeah, you're so full of crap. There is no way I'm going to be able to 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 do what you do. And, yeah, yeah. You know, when you start when you start talking big money and personal guarantees and loans and so on and so forth. You know, you're sitting there going, if I'm the buyer, I'm like, you know, is this is this guy being transparent with me or is he just saying this so I'll buy his business? Totally. One hundred percent. And so, you know, I try to show that here's our levels of internal process. You know, I do the sales. If you're a buyer, you know how to talk to someone on the phone. Check that box. Once you put the project in, the pilot takes it. It gets kicked over to the editor, editor takes it, gets kicked back to you, send it back. You know, and I, I, I try not to downplay it. Uh, I have a lot of drone experience, but I've, yeah. I've not lied in the sense of I've not done a drone shoot for the company in two years, three years, you know, and, and if I did, that was probably the last one in five or six. And so it's not like the owner has to have a license and be very, you know, um, Understanding now, <laughs> I'd like to talk about that point for a second because this this proves some challenge. This you know uh, potentially brought us some complications. We had several buyers that were saying, "Hey, I'm a pilot, and I want this. You know, I want to. This would be great for me to buy and grow." And you know, one of the first first few conversations was like, "You know." Um, you know, yeah, we would we would just remove the pilot day one or or week two or whatever. We'd learn from them and then we'd cut them loose. I'm like, well, you know, so I guess my point is that I don't know that a drone pilot was the buyer because a drone pilot is going to be good at drones. A drone pilot's going to be good at flying, mapping, etc. Drone pilot's not necessarily a good business owner. Um, but a lot of them haven't had enough time to be a good business owner, and so. I think a lot of t- a lot of those conversations quickly die because, you know, it, it would be they want to do that and they want to hire me to stay on or, you know, just I didn't see how they were going to accomplish that by coming in and just taking the, the revenue and the clients. Right. I mean, that's just one one piece of the pie. Yeah. What. Um, speaking of buyer types, so, you know, we, when. As you know, whenever we we launch a business, we, you know, we're 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 kind of evaluating the avatar of this is the likely buyer. You have your individuals, and then you have your strategics. In your case, so what? I guess I if I had to bet, I thought a, I thought for sure, and a strategic was going to gobble you up and and just put you on top of the, you know, put at part of their service offering. But it wasn't. It was an individual. So I'm I'm curious to know, you know, what because I think when we when 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 we when this gets released and and other shops like yours hear this, 
you know, I, I think they're probably going to wonder, you know, who is my buyer? So, so tell me a little bit about why you weren't appealing to the larger shops and what, and what made you, you know, what was the avatar of the guy that, that finally bought it? Sure. Well, the drone industry is kind of interesting right now because any of the big players are for the most part, purely subcontracting everything. So you have some major national players oh. that have contracts with real estate firms, developers, et cetera, where they provide nationwide coverage. We do the exact same thing. Um, what that means is that we say we can do a shoot anywhere. We have shoots a couple times in Florida every month. We have some out on the West Coast. We've done shoots in probably 10, mm. 10 or more states. What that yeah. means is that you're able to control the project and run the project by subbing out. So for a large company like that, strategically to purchase us would make sense only in the, only in the ways of the contact, the contracts, the client list, and maybe our marketing. Mm -hmm. But the marketing is invaluable because they're going to brand it their stuff day one. Um, so to be honest, I, I'm right along there with you. I thought we'd have two or three strategic lined up saying we got to have it. Sure. Just write up a check, be done. Mm -hmm. um, so if I had to guess, I think that's the biggest holdback is that they're going to they're gonna purchase this and then they're going to sit there and say, okay, who's going to run it? You know, who are we going to send to Indiana to, to be the face, to run it and, and to be seen? Um, yeah. Yeah. From a strategic standpoint, you know, I was lucky with the buyer that came in. I didn't realize this at the time, but it, it started to make sense, but uh, came from a real estate and construction background. So had a, had a, had in 20 years in the construction industry, traveling all around the nation and locally, you know, so for me, day one, if I'm him and I have the client list and then I come in and bring my own clients, you don't want to say it's foolproof, but I mean, yeah, we're spending money on it. And so that's where the relationships I think help. You know, the funny thing is, and I, I have to eat my words again, but now that, I, now that we're behind it and, and I'm I'm looking at your deal. You know, we we I think we looked at it more as a as a as a marketing photography business. And I think and I think that was the mistake. Um, you know, not mis it all ended well, but I think from a in look in doing an autopsy of your deal, I think this is more of a almost like a surveying type company that it falls more and this, and I say that only because it, it, it leads to where you found your buyer because now we're, we're looking at more of a construction related ancillary service, you know, and I, and I get the, the whole marketing side, but, but generally speaking, you're talking about topography and you're talking about, you know, you know, in, encapsulating cult, you know, the, the company's culture and so on and so forth. That's the creative part. But as far as where you find the buyer, I think the, the type of buyer you found is the type of buyer that's going to buy other businesses like this. You know what I mean? Or, or am I off? No, I think you're on. Um, I do have to, I do have to correct you. We can't say surveying. That's, that's a no, no in the drone world because we have surveyors that don't like us. Because we can scan from our drones, so ah. just adds up there. Ah, we're all they, they don't like family. That. All right, I'm, um, I'm, I'm not sure uh, I get it, but I will. But I, I will. I will. I will. Kurt, yeah, you know, I don't think this, and I apologize to all the surveyors out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, just kidding. They, I'm not striking that. Yeah, they're super, uh, super sensitive. We've we've had a couple run-ins with some that are mad we're playing in their sandbox, but um, I see. I think you are. I think you're correct in the, in the sense of the, you know, the construction industry, in my opinion, has so much opportunity. And with one of the things that helped, I think, originally and off the bat was I tried to sit down with these contractors and just say, you know, what is helpful? And a perfect example is, you know, hey, every two weeks, we have a weekly standing meeting on Wednesday at nine with the client and the stakeholders. So we started adjusting our shoots to go Tuesday afternoon. And so we could send them to them that night, Friday, uh, Wednesday morning, they could load it up in their report. We were, we were awesome for them. I mean, they were, they were praising us left and right. And it was a tiny little change that we could make. Mm. 
the reason I say that is because it just really comes down to under, once you get into an industry, and I think with the drones, it's so new, it's so innovative, it's so rapidly changing that you do have to kind of rely on your clients to say, you know, what, what, here's the tools that we can provide. How can we help you? And you're both kind of learning together. But in my opinion, that was always the best projects because we were collaborating together and then we were ultimately providing what they needed. And then they were taking that and looking better. And it was just a true, you know, partnership. And so to bring this all back to what you, what your question was about on, as far as the buyers and being in that construction world, I think 100% having those relationships in those industries where you can pick up the phone and say, Hey, you know, I know you guys have these projects going on. How are you handling this? Or are you getting questions to handle this? Um, every single year, more and more companies are coming out saying we need pre-construction documentation from the drone. We need this and this and X, Y, Z. And um, just because the technology is there and it really doesn't, it makes no sense not to have it. Um, so I think going back to your yeah. question with the buyer, I mean, yeah, it, you, at least he has his finger on the pulse with the industry, what's coming up, what's being needed, and then they can back channel, go right to them and provide the service. So, well, I, I, I think, I think there's, there's a mentality, you know, project management in the, in the trades is, is complements this drone industry really well. Absolutely. Is, is kind of the way I see it. Absolutely. So I, I have a couple more questions on, I guess my first one is, were you surprised at valuation? You know, I, mean, I, I think, I, th I think it came, I think it came in a, a, as a, as a, as a fair deal. I, I think, it, you know, I think everybody walked away happy. Um, but I guess at, as you look at valuation now, um, you know, what, what, what's your, what's your thoughts on where the buyer assessed risk? Because that, that determined value. All right. So where, what do you think of that now, now that you're behind it? So, you know, I have two, I have probably just under two years of business brokerage experience. So I think one of the, real quick, just one of the biggest things that I noticed coming into the industry was that, was how few sellers actually understood uh, valuation and cash flow. I think a lot of owners aren't in the numbers and they don't truly understand. So for me, beginning, I wanted to just understand what the value was. I didn't care what it was. I just wanted to know. Um, believe it or not, up until that point a few years ago, I just had no idea. We had our heads down, we've been plugging along and pulling a little bit out where we can, but really just investing in the business to grow it. And um, so I can tell you the valuation that came in early on a couple of years ago and then the, what I sold it for, uh, it, it was a significant difference. Uh, the first one was significantly lower. So I think as far as the valuation standpoint, I wasn't uh, surprised. You know, we worked internally and, and had everything. Yeah. We, you know, we were able to review things. I think the challenge was we didn't have a lot of comps and, um, you know, previous businesses to compare them to. But I think at the end of the day, the benefit of the buyer that, that chose the company was that they had purchased a business before they had a few other businesses and nice. and the the whole entire process of working with this buyer was different than i would have anticipated several other buyers to be um for example and this might be a question you're gonna if it is just just uh we'll come back to it but no go you know for example contracts in place, um, employment agreements that are in place. I did have some buyers that said, look, I want this, I wanna move forward on it, but I can't close until I know these contracts get assigned and I can't close until I know these employee agreements are in place. And you know, it, it, it relates to a lot of business owners because where do you draw the line? You know, I can't, I can't, get, I can't assign a contract before we close because what if we don't close? And yeah. why are we telling the client? So. You know, I, there's so many things that can bog down the deal and, and muddy it up. But I think, it, fortunately, very fortunately, everything has worked out flawlessly in our transition for the company. Um, clients are happy. Employees are happy. And I, 
there's a part of me that thought through the process, you know, man, this buyer's kind of, kind of taking some risk here. But I think that goes back to what I said earlier that, Hey, I'm in this with you. And, you know, we're going to yeah. get this answer. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that off that offset, I, th- I think the, the willingness of transition and the willingness that, you know what, I, I'm right here with you. This is, this is, this is part of the sale process. And yeah. And grand money has changed hands, but at the same time, you know, I, I'm, I think the best sellers are the ones that can empathize with the buyer, you mm-hmm. know, that, you know, I know what you're going through and, and let, let me come alongside of you and make sure that, that you get off on the, the best foot. So the next question was, had to do with due diligence. I know you had clean books because that's just who you are. Um, how did, how do you, I know most sellers cringe at the thought of, of the, you know, the, the scrutiny over how they run their business. Did, how did due diligence go for you? Well, it went a lot easier because it was a stock sale versus an asset sale. So there was no contracts that needed to be assigned. There's no employee agreements. Yeah. But, but if Um, I'm, if I'm the buyer, I'm sitting here going, I, I also have all the contingent liabilities. So due diligence became even more important. Yeah, you know there was, if 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 Andrew Wall was was a bad boy in a previous life, I I have his sins. So, yeah. So how did so back carry on? Yeah, I mean, so there were some things that made it easier as far as the assignment of, of several things, but then you know, yeah, to your point, I mean, when you go through a stock sale, there's there's different things that become challenging. Um, Mm-hmm. Close sale. So I would say, you know, arguably we probably spent more time post close, uh, finalizing things up, you know, okay. accounts getting um, okay. finalized and, uh, and different things like that. But no, I mean, as far as the due diligence, gosh, again, I was fortunate. There really wasn't a heavy, there was a heavy list. But since I had talked with buyers before, since we had all of our stuff ready to go, I mean, it was, it was a fairly straightforward process. And, um, I think the work, okay. I think the, the longest part was probably the, not even the APA, but I mean, and that, that's usually a half a week turnaround or so. So, um, yeah. there hasn't been a ton, right. but it's been mostly on the back end. So, right. I can't say everybody's like that. Bro- <laughs> well, but, the broker gods look favorably upon you. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Got one, so, <laughs> so, so what surprised you out of so you you've now taken a taken your own deal from start to finish. So, you know, what surprised you in this whole thing as a business owner? I think um I don't know if I'd say anything surprised me. I think I think it's very it's a very surreal thing. Uh this is probably I think this is my third business that I started, third or fourth, by far the most successful and then the only one that I've been able to successfully exit from. Um, and I can tell you, I never thought about exit probably until two years ago. It, it wouldn't even have crossed my mind. I had, I had gotten calls from business brokers and I told them to go screw off. And I just had no interest in even accommodating the idea of selling. And I think that's been the most enlightening and surreal thing for me because I just always assumed that when I was ready, I was going to just go sell it for a million bucks or whatever. Right. And, and there was no true, um, correlation between what what is my business worth? What am I doing? You know, what if it's worth fifty thousand bucks? Am I gonna keep doing this until I realize it? So I think, you know, you, as an entrepreneur, you put your head down, you work hard, you get to a point, life starts changing. And so for me, two years ago was a was an interesting point where I kind of put my head up and said, what do I have? Where is this going? What's the plan? And then from there, nice. you know, the I was familiar with with IBAs marketing and process. So I know we put a good book together and I just knew that if, but actually I heard it on this podcast. Um, I feel horrible for not remembering the lady's name, but that <laughs> actually sparked That's my, right. my interest and put it up online and said, Hey, here's my price. And I'm not in any hurry to sell. I'm not in any, you know, I'm going to let this thing ride. And so I think it was doing that. There was countless nights of staying up, wondering, is this going to sell? If it doesn't, what am I going to do? 
what are what are the what do I do with the employees, the equipment, you know, there what do I do with the contracts in place? I mean, so there was a it was a it was an extreme roller coaster, emotional roller coaster, I think, you know, and it this was just a yeah. hate to say it, a side business that I started and grew. And um so I I think the thing that I was surprised about, to be honest, is that it all worked out. I mean, everything worked out, honestly, probably about as best as I could, I could have imagined. Yeah. And uh you know, it's still surreal. I still am in the transition, so I feel like, uh, well, you know, I'm still part well, of I was, it. I was gonna, <laughs> I, well, I was going to ask you that, you know, what, when the wire hit your account, I, I mean, what what did you think? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, again, it was kind of surreal. I had just got back from a vacation, a week-long vacation in Montana, and I was in a wedding that day, so I probably didn't even see the See it hits oh, that's right. right. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was, uh, yeah. so there was a lot going you on, you know, um, but no, yeah. you, you hadn't sobered up before the, before the wire hit. No, yeah. no I, had to, I had to double check and make sure I had the right phone in my pocket. Um, but, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, it, it, it is surreal. I have a month of transition. So that, that ended in July. And so there's just a couple of things we're still doing, but, you know, I'm really, really looking forward to getting some time back, spending some more time on the business brokerage, yeah. commercial real estate side. And, um, you know, fortunately with this buyer, um, he's, he's opened the door for, if I bring new opportunities in, um, you know, there's an opportunity to get, uh, some additional revenue on my end. And then he's going to keep me in an advising role. So it's just, nice. man, if I had a magic wand, it, yeah. it completely worked out because selfishly, I guess. Yeah. I, I was going to say, that sounds like, you found you found the right guy, and, and it's going to be a, a long term relationship, and that, and that's great. Yeah. So, I'm 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 bumping up on time, so I, I want to be sensitive to it. So, if you, I always ask this question about about what's the one piece of advice that you'd give our listeners that would have the most immediate impact on their business. So, what would that be for you? I thought about this one, and I think. I think this is the, what I leave everybody. Um, the best advice that I ever received <clears throat> was at Ball State. It was from a professor, my sales professor. His name was Scott Inks. And he related the whole entire um, semester into, you know, ultimately everything can be, can be broken down into two basic things, and that's relationships and numbers. And I've tried to, whatever I do in life, relate that back to what I'm doing. Um, you know, in a sense of creating and maintaining strong relationships and then understanding numbers that are working through your business. And I think if you can maintain those two things, whether it's employee relationships, vendor relationships, your relationships at home, and if you can understand the numbers, you're going to be okay. And I, that's been one thing that I've tried to really implement in my day-to-day. -day. Is that good? Is that okay? You know, I th I think that's a a good way to live. Whether you're selling your business or living your life, I I I absolutely think they're yeah everything falls back to relationships. I will say so, the business, the business advice, real quick. The business advice if you're a, a business owner is you need to understand yeah. your value, the, the value of your business. No matter if you're trying to sell, if you're ready now, if you're ready ten years from now, someone's going to give you a call or knock on your door, and I promise you, you want to know that number, and we can help you come up with that number. Well, what's the best way we can connect with you? Well, I just deleted all my social media, but I am on LinkedIn. So you can get me on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, I'm, if you well, want, you can put myself on we'll here. What's that? We'll have, we'll have all of your contact information in the show notes. But okay. so best place to, to, to find you is on LinkedIn? Yeah. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, reach out to my cell phone. It, I'm available really anytime and um, would love to connect and ultimately love to help anybody else out there that's trying to navigate through this process. And I can tell you, it's not as overwhelming and daunting as you think. And the other side's great. So, you know, you know, one thing I failed to mention is age. I mean, you're you, what you're 32, right? 32, yeah. 33 in October. 32. So. You know what? And and to be honest with you, I I see a lot a lot more of your age group buying and selling companies quickly. You know, mm -hmm. starting something and being able and I and I I love that for you. And I, you know, and 
And if I haven't said it enough, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to death that you're, you're part of our team. I think, uh, I, I think the, the future resides in, in you and folks like you. Um, I, I just, I, I think it's a, one of the best additions I've made. So no, well, I appreciate that. that. Uh, hey, while we're hitting each other on the back, you know, we gotta. I think we just you, you <laughs> some kudos, right? This is the you just dropped your ninetieth episode on the podcast, right? Something like that. I don't wow. know. Wow, that's I, I, uh, that's impressive. It really is. Well, you know what? Um, well, thank you. I, I I hope I hope many people get some value from it, and uh, or whether whether many or one and that's a, it's a it's a it's a good place to to share some 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 nuggets and get to talk to people like you so thanks for joining me it was a lot, hey, a lot of fun thanks for having me really really um really enjoyed talking to you today and uh yeah really happy to be uh to be um part of this list with the other 90 90 plus people that have been on so <laughs> Thanks again for having me on here. Well, uh, you, you've you've got you, you've got stiff competition as far as we'll, we'll see what kind of numbers you bring. But I no no one as transparent as you were. I have a feeling you're this episode's going to be really great. So yeah, awesome. thanks again, bud. All right, we'll thanks, talk man. to you soon. See you. Thank you for joining us today on the How to Sell Your Business podcast. If you want more episodes packed with strategies to help sell your business for the maximum value, visit howtosellabusinesspodcast.com for tips and best practices to make your exit life-changing. Better yet, subscribe now so you never miss future episodes. This program is copyrighted by MISO Inc. All rights reserved.